Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bazaar. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's or on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through listening to podcasts. So today I have with us um, James Gonzalez. How are you doing today, James? I'm doing great. And How are so you, Justin? I believe it's called La Fonda. Is that correct? That is. La Fonda and, is the correct name. And you are located in New York City. Yes, in New York City, 169 East 106th Street, New York, New York, 10029. Cool. And where can they find you on social media? They can find us on Instagram uh, and also Facebook at La, and TikTok. That's right. At La Fonda NYC. Very cool. So, James, tell me a little bit about your story. I know we have a limited amount of time. We're both on the go constantly. So the fact that we were able to connect is pretty awesome. And we both have like small emergencies going on constantly. So it's cool that we were able to do this. So let's just go right to it. Tell me the story of you as an entrepreneur, how you became um, interested in food and how this two sort of came together as a food entrepreneur. Yeah, of course. So, um, so ironically, I, I didn't go to school for any of this. Uh, in fact, I dropped out of college after getting my associate's degree and was focusing on marketing and sales. And when I did that, at some point over 14 years of advertising and sales, I ended up working at Yelp. And prior to that, I was always working with restaurants and helping them advertise and market themselves to different platforms. Uh, I mean, I was helping people set up Facebook pages before Facebook had a business page outlet and doing SEO and SEM before then. And I always worked at restaurants because I just love food. Uh, but Yoke really showed me that, wow, my love for restaurants was was more powerful than what I had imagined. And then La Fonda came in because... The gentleman by the name of Jorge Ayala, the founder and the creative La Fonda, was you know at a point where he started struggling. Right, he built his business 25 years in, uh, did a lot for the community, an, an amazing, incredible human being. Uh, I saw in him a piece of me, right, which was I wanted to leave a legacy through food. Uh, so when I came into this entrepreneurial world, I, I the only experience I had was working at restaurants from. Uh, a different avenue and helping them scale and grow and understand their metrics, uh, but never physically inside until I stepped into La Fonda. So what was that like? I mean, you really never worked in food. There's codes, there's regulations and like how much guidance and um, how much family support do you have? Like, let's talk about that. What does this look like? Cause I agree as an entrepreneur, you just need to jump in sometimes and not having the experience in a specific field sometimes gives you a huge advantage. So what was this like for you? So it wasn't as difficult to jump in because I've always been an entrepreneur. Right? It's, it's in my family in some areas. My grandmother was an entrepreneur herself. I mean, she was one of the few Hispanic women in New York City to own uh, not one but three different restaurants. Uh, that's definitely New York City. I mean, I just yeah. remember it's like you would be sleeping. It'd be it's just part of your sleep pattern. That, that's you know? it. Yeah. Yeah. Go uh, on. So, so she had owned three restaurants that she illegally, because back then needed the cabaret license. Illegally, she had converted them to nightclubs uh, and, and and bars, right? Because that she was always a party person. Uh, so, in some ways, it was always in me. At one point, my first entrepreneurial journey was. 
during um, the first crash in 0809, I got uh, laid off like everyone else did from advertising and sales. I was with Verizon selling Yellow Page ads. And I took the journey. That's when I started working with restaurants a little more directly uh, and help them with. So on my personal Instagram, it's your main stop. That name comes from that, right? So coming into the restaurant space, it wasn't as, uh, it just wasn't as fearful. So I jumped in and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. You know, I know what I can do in sales. I know what I've done for other restaurants. Now I'm just going to prove to myself that I can do it for one place, take them from failing or almost going under and scaling again or or rescaling. The type of support I had was very minimal because, you know, my family, my mom more so, she's more reserved. And the girl I was dating at the time, you know, she was also concerned, like, why are you going to leave a a nice paying salary job with benefits and stuff to go into the entrepreneur space? And I just knew that I got tired and telling me what to do. And I really wanted to test myself. Uh, So coming in, the support was very little. I want to say after a year and a half, especially during the pandemic, when my family and friends really started seeing me uh, move the needle and not only keep the business alive, but partner with like Royal Central Kitchen, see the community, you know, uh, and then eventually open up a, a second location, which that one's is, is fully mine. Um, it changed their perspective and then they became more on board. So now, for instance, my mom actually physically helps me. Right? She she uh, makes a lot of the phone calls for me. She uh, checks the emails, gets the reservations done. So she's a big part in that. Not having you, my brother's helping me temporarily until he gets back into the trucking industry. Um, and then I have friends that have invested their time and energy into uh, this location as well as my downtown spot. So I guess I gave you a lot of a lot of a uh, talk there, but essentially it was very little support, and then it became full support when they all started seeing that I was not as crazy as I was to leave a, a six-figure job to come and do something I'm more passionate about. And I don't make anything. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a broke a broke entrepreneur at the moment. Uh, <laughs> but that'll change. That'll change. Well, and I think that's part of it, and that's part of the hustle. Like, it's you're still giving off the energy. So, like, it's the money will come. That's the trophy, right? And I think, like, I, I found you. Like, we've talked. We've been able to communicate. Like, you are an entrepreneur. Like, there's a certain sense of communication that happens when you've been an entrepreneur for a while, the the understanding of following up, the understand of constantly communicating, even if you can't always connect, but at least touching base, I think is a big part of it. And I don't always talk about it on these podcasts, but I think, you know, one of the things you do really well is, is communicate, James. So I appreciate that. And I think it's one of the things that I really think stands out about you and your business. And even before we jumped on this podcast, you know, James is carrying food down the street in New York. This is what we do. I'll remember it. Even when I had shoulder surgery, I'm literally my shoulders in a sling. I couldn't handle the subway. So I'd get off the subway, the first stop in Manhattan from Astoria, Queens, and then walk like I don't even know how many blocks down to wherever NYU um, Medical Center was like down on Second Avenue or First Avenue or something. I can't exactly remember and do my rehabilitation. But walking is part of the environment. And before we got on, you were communicating about how to make sure the packaging was done right and and getting things done and making sure that the the representation of what you guys are doing is is up to par. And that's all communication. That's constantly steering the ship or getting other people the training or the knowledge or the brain power to steer the ship 
also. And so I think that that's pretty cool, and I picked that up on you, uh, picked that up from you right away. So what are some of the things that drive you, James? Like what is what keeps you going? What What is driving you to run this business? At, at the moment, it's the... Um it's a legacy that my business partner, the founder of La Fama, created. Right, so La, La Fama has a, a longer history because it was called George and Gina's at one point, and then Jorge got involved in the business when his neighbor Gina, the owner of the spot, uh, told him, "Listen, I want you to." It's a. It wasn't a verbatim, but it was essentially, "Would you like to take over this business? Here's my conditions. You have to pay me." Um, X amount of dollars, but you have to maintain it as a Puerto Rican restaurant. Uh, Jorge, Harvard grad, um, PhD, like, I mean, was finishing up his studies at, at, at um, Hunter on 68th Street when this opportunity came about and he took over it. In the process of him taking over it, he expanded the restaurant, but more importantly, he expanded the culture of Puerto Rico and the confidence it brought to the community. So what motivates me is making sure that everything that this food has to offer, it's more than just food. I don't like the fact that when someone thinks of Puerto Rico, they either associate us with, um, they associate, they, I'm good brother. They, um, they associate us with, um, with celebrities or athletes, but they don't really, really encompass what we do. Uh, I mean, we've been activist leaders, many of those people who have come to the restaurant. So money is not my main drive anymore. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, yeah, at some point it'll come to me um, and I'm glad when that happens. But my main drive is just keeping this legacy alive. Also, the beautiful thing about food is, is food starts conversation. Right? At one point I had the work of Hiram Modestani up in the restaurant. And if, for those who don't know who Hiram Adesani was, he was a, a photographer, but also an activist. I mean, he was one of the founding members of the Museo de Barrio, which, um, which was one of the first museums to allow Black and Latinos to display their artwork in the museum. He was one of the founding members of the Young Lords chapter for New York, uh, the main photographer of the Young Lords as well as a documentarian. He took photos of East Harlem for, I mean, I think, I believe it was when he was 16 to the day he died. He's been featured in the Sasonia moments that I go down the list. He helped with a recent documentary that came out called The Takeover, where he provided a lot of his work and insight to what happened. Uh, and I had the pleasure of having his work in the restaurant and using the food and the connectivity. So that's where this all circles in, right? Using the food and connectivity to then talk to people about it. When they saw the artwork, they were like, wow, this is amazing. And then they would ask more about the photos, and then I was able to tell them, hey, you know, the Patients Bill of Rights was a part of the Black Panthers and Young Lords working together, taking over Lincoln Hospital. You know, tuberculosis was being tested in East Harlem because of this, because we had a photo of a x-ray truck being hijacked. So... What motivates me is more. Yeah, I used to do the food in all those hospitals, all the New York City hospitals for almost 20 years. So I'm really familiar with what you're talking about, Lincoln Hospital and the history there. But go on. This is really cool. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So then, um, so then the food is what being able to communicate with people and tie food and tie more of a longer legacy to it 
is what drives me. So even my location downtown is called Dia Noche. Right? Um, and even that one downtown, I have Hiram's photo up, right? Because he unfortunately passed away, but he was like a mentor to me. And so when people come in, they always ask, who's that? Is your grandfather? I go, no. And then I, I get to tell them the same thing that I just mentioned to you within a few minutes. Um, and I keep using that food because the food is what drives them. It keeps them here. If your food is good, your drinks are good, they'll keep coming in. They'll want to listen to you. You make them happy. The second driver is the nostalgia. What made me want to be part of La Fonda and help La Fonda was the nostalgia gave me as a customer. Because right? it's, it's been there before I became a part of it. Uh, I only have four years in there. Right? And in the beginning, I wasn't even an owner. I was just coming in as an acting manager. So I became a partner. And, and that's like another long story. But it was, it was just understanding that every time someone said goodbye to something, it transports you. Transports you to a memory or creates a new one. And I want to be able to continue to do that for people because there's something that is uniquely satisfying about that. Uh, what's satisfying about that to me is just you become a part of that. So at some point, I become a, a part of everyone. You know, and, and as vain or shallow that may sound, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful feeling to know that when someone comes in, I'm sure you've experienced this yourself. I had a couple that came in on their second date, an Irish lad and a Puerto Rican. The Irish lad looked nervous, right? He's in East Harlem, safe neighborhood, but no, most people here East Harlem, they think the worst, right? And, you know, he's nervous, his second date. I asked, like, oh, you guys on a date? Start communicating with them, conversing. We're conversing, they go, yes. I hear he has an accent, I ask where he's from. And then they give him a small little fact. They go, you know, hey, back in the 60s, 70s, Irish and Puerto Ricans actually have a huge lineage of, of hooking up, like right? coming together, staying in the towels. Long story short, they came back to the restaurant eight months later to update me that they were still dating. Two doctors, by the way, that she flew to Ireland to meet uh, his family, and he flew to Puerto Rico to meet her family. And these guys are like in love. Like, if you see their Instagram, it's a beautiful thing. And being a part of that brings me so much joy. I've had weddings in there, baby showers in there. You know, um, unfortunately, memorials in there, but you become a part of that. And then you just, it's, I don't know, it's weird because, like, I just love that, that avenue of it. But then as the years went by, now I become a professional, perfectionist in this space. And now I go to restaurants with, like, a keen eye and judgment. And I'm like, hey, these are all the things I want to see. But those are my motivators. It's, it's the legacy that I want to continue to push on. I got people know, like, hey, this is who you really are. You're more than just, Mark Anthony J. Lo, but also the nostalgia aspect of it. I want to be able to create memories, hear about memories, and learn about memories yeah absolutely and i think you're right you attach the food to memories they they trigger other emotions and stuff like that for sure so that's part of it the other thing uh that you touched on is like the culture and stuff like that so i want to talk about like what is the actual food represent but the thing in new york city about being in the neighborhoods and being a part of the neighborhoods that i always found is for some reason, just because the nature of it, the, the how compounded people are together, so many restaurants, so many businesses become part of the romantic story or the fairy tale for individuals. Mm -hmm. 
And while it seems like they no one has any space, weirdly New York City, because of that compounding effect, has a very romantic and nostalgia feel in general, I will say. And people do get married in restaurants. People do have memorials in restaurants there. I mean, it's not like it doesn't happen everywhere, but it's. I would say it's definitely magnified because of the attachment to the restaurants and the neighborhoods and then the food of the culture from wherever anyone's from that ends up in New York, whether it's like Jackson Heights, which is like little India, basically in, in Queens to the different like parts of um, East Harlem that we just talked about. Like all of it has such cultural dimension and you, sh- we, you shouldn't be afraid. No, no human should be afraid to go experience food. Like the there's entrepreneurs and businesses out there that are doing great food. And just like James talked about, it's a matter of breaking bread with someone. And so, um, James, what are the, some of the most popular items on your menu and how do they, and how does the food that you serve represent Puerto Rican culture? So that's a really great question. And, you know, it's always, the answer always changes because it's, I'm, I'm learning more and more as each day and each month go by. The, in regards to the popular items, I mean, definitely our number one selling item is the be stencil royale steak and onions and it's the way we do it you know it's a, the top the top uh, round butt so we freeze it to slice it better so we freeze it overnight it gets nice and hard after we cut all the fat off then we slice it through a deli slicer then we tenderize it we season it we package it and then we cook it right we do this every other day um we slice up the onions so it just I think all the love we put behind it <laughs> makes it a really popular. The second one happens to be, um, and this varies month to month, but the chicharrón de pollo or the chuleta frita, so the fried chicken chops or the pork chops, the fried pork chops. So between those three items, they tend to be popular. Uh, and then mofongos, right? Mofongos, it's, mofongos actually originates from Africa, uh, but we've inherited to, you know, uh, and, and the history of it or becoming more popularized, I guess, by us. Um, but we have, like, the pork mofongo, which is a big one, the pernin, and then our seafood one because we, we make it in a really good garlic sauce. So people tend to come for that. Uh, then all the other items we have there are more staple dishes, dishes that are just customary to people having, you know, comfort food. Essentially, a lot of the, the dishes we have on our menu is Puerto Rican soul food. Right, it's it's the food that touches your soul. So I can go down the entire list, and there are items on there that people relate to, and they understand, and they grew up with it. And then, of course, because it's New York City and neighborhoods gentrify, there's some fusion items on there that are just for that reason. Right, they're there to lure people in. So if they're skeptical of trying the food, they can at least try some chicken wings and they're like, oh wow, if the wings are this good, I gotta see something else. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story on that before answering the second part of the question. Um, I started jazz night uh, during the pandemic when we were allowed to do outdoor seating. And when I started jazz night, you know, I would have a lot of more Caucasian folks come up that were not used to the neighborhood. And they were very modest on what they were selecting at first because they didn't understand the Puerto Rican food. So they would order empanadas, you know, and wings. And I never forget that I would see them look at the other dishes that other people were ordering that were used to the food. And they were like, oh my God, what's that? What's that? that smells good. 
And when they would come back, they would come back to try that. Uh, so the only reason I bring that up is because to answer your question about the menu, it, it, so you have your traditional items that's the soul and heart of our, our traditional culture, and then some add-ons to try to bring people in so that they can give us a shot and then enjoy the other dishes we have. Now remind me the second part of the question. <laughs> Uh, how the dishes represent uh, Puerto Rican culture, but I think you kind of touched upon it, but you can go I further into it. it. Yeah, I'll, I'll go further. So Puerto Rico is is very diverse, right? I mean, if you ever look at on the map, I mean, every region has a different dish that focuses on that region, right? If you're more towards the coast, you eat more seafood. So our menu represents different... Uh, parts of Puerto Rico and the actual heritage of each individual from the New York weekend to Puerto Rican to the person who born in Chicago. Steak and, and you know the pork, those items come from the mainland, the farm, right? The seafood items that we make come from those parts. But to truly to truly dive deep it's it's a lot of conversation. I mean because our food is not all obvious. Right? We made it obvious. Right? So if you like codfish, codfish originated from, I believe, uh, Portugal, right? And we implemented that in our dish. We make a lot of codfish. We have bacalaitos, empanadas de bacalao, bacalao salad. You know, if you like gandules, that bean, that physical bean is from Africa, right? So now we have that implemented in our arroz con gandules. And we make the arroz con gandules, which is rice and pigeon peas. You know, we add olives. Olives don't come from Puerto Rico. Right, so our food encompasses the different cultures that happen to migrate or take over and and and, <laughs> and colonize our, our space. Right, when Span when Spaniard came in, they brought a lot of what they brought. So each one of our dishes touches on the history. It, it's a longer answer. It just you know, yeah. Time. When I agree with you, that, but each dish is that yeah. Between colonization of Puerto Rico and then the massive trade being such. Uh, interesting island in the dynamic of the Caribbean and being all such key to trade, particularly in and out of the U.S. as sort of a centering point. All those food and spices and influences came through Puerto Rico a lot of the time to get here, which I think um, is a kind of a cool thing, too. And so there's all of that type of stuff. Let me ask you a question, James. Are like another thing that you enjoy is it history because uh, you know a lot of history but you also know a lot of history around the food and you talked about it earlier do you spend a lot of time in that is it something that greatly interests you yes and a lot of that i have to give credit to my business partner Jorge Ayala. i mean he would he would talk about the different things and then i would watch him on some of the interviews that he would have by some people or when he spoke about it also, Hiram Modestani would talk about things. And then a big part of it came when I had to start defending myself, right? Because Puerto Ricans are weird, right? Because I'm not born in Puerto Rico. So a lot of the people from the mainland won't accept me as Puerto Rican, though. Rican, right? Which is fine. It is what it is. Uh, even if I speak the language, even if I can cook the same food, cook it the way they cook it, um, or I know more history of, of their own island than they do. Right? Uh, uh, when I, I went said, back to Italy to play mm-hmm. soccer as a kid, they would call me Sabaro, like that I was like fake American pizza, even though I was that Italian <laughs> name. 
so I was like 13 years old playing soccer over in Italy and they're calling me Sabaro. And so it's just like, I didn't, it took me a while before I caught on to what they meant. I was like fake pizza to them, you know? And so, <laughs> cause I was an Italian, but I was born in America. So I get totally what you're saying. Yeah. It happens in all cultures, right? Or the vast majority of cultures. I shouldn't say all. Um, but yeah, so that would happen. So then I, I started educating myself and I would ask or have more questions about different things. So I would just research it. And then the more I researched, the more I started appreciating, you know, what I do for them. And I started realizing, wow, there's, there's more connectivity to us than we know, right? I mean, food itself is probably one of the biggest languages in the world in the sense of what you eat to what you don't eat, to what you might like to what you won't like. And so when I started learning about it, it became more of just to defend myself. And then it works, right? Because I have customers that would say things, and then when I would educate them on it, they would take a step back and realize, oh, my God, I shouldn't have said that, <laughs> you know? Um, like when one person said, why do you have this on the menu? That's not Puerto Rican. And then I responded back, well, do you like arroz con gandules? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, that technically wouldn't be Puerto Rican either. And it, it hit her, and she's like, what do you mean? And then that's when I went into the whole, well, gandules is from Africa. And we have to thank Africans who came to Puerto Rico who gave that to us. So... And it stopped her in her tracks, right? And I've had that with other customers too. Like I had one guy that said some, something similar, but with the, he was like, why do you call it empanadas? It's called, that's another thing, right? Like some of my dishes are called what they are, but in Puerto Rico, they're not called that. Um, but yeah, so to answer it, it, it's a mix of forehead, uh, high rum, and then truly myself wanting to just separate myself and have a better understanding. It's also my personality. When I dropped out of college, I didn't drop out on a whim. I dropped out because I didn't want to go to law school, and I wanted to learn more about marketing, and I wanted to learn more about SEO and SEM. Now I'm in the food world, and I really want to learn more about food. My cocktail games are another level. Right? When I make cocktails, it's next to none. So talk about that. What's the cocktails? What's the? How did you pick that up? Is it something you always did? Is it something you had did as a kid, or is it as it came to La Fonda? Talk about that a little bit. I always enjoyed drinking cocktails. Okay, uh, I grew up a poor Puerto Rican kid in the Bronx, right? Poor working class. Uh, I got lucky in many areas of my life, and then with that luck, I worked hard to keep it. Uh, and I got to eat at some amazing places. I mean, I've been in Michelin star restaurants uh, before it was a thing. And I did that before my own family could. I traveled to different countries before a lot of my family members could. And I got to try different cuisines. And so when I went to La Fonda, I, I realized, okay, these guys have a lot of great things, but their cocktail game is weak. And I remembered every place I ever went to that had a great cocktail game emphasized on what we do for our food which was freshness. So all our syrups are made in-house, which costs a little more, but all our syrups are made in-house. All our fresh juices are made in-house. We only use middle and top shelf liquor for any of our cocktails. And I do that in my downtown spot too. Even with the mocktails, everything is premium. And a big part of that was because I knew that at some point, people who can afford my restaurant, they can't afford a spot in Midtown. They can't afford a spot in, on 14th Street, Tribeca, Soho. So if I can give them the same level quality cocktail at a reasonable price, you know, between $14 and $17 a cocktail. And I mean, I'm using, when I say middle shelf, I'm using, you know, Ramsa Kappa, 
I'm using, you know, Gamba Tequila. I'm using Top Stuff Bullet. And I use, those are my wells, right? I'm giving that to people so they have that experience. When they come and they have a cocktail, I'm also elevating the community. Other cocktail spots have opened up because they realize it's possible. And at the same time, a lot of people started enhancing their, their cocktail menu in East Harlem. Because at that point, we were the only ones doing what we were doing. Uh, Lion Lion closed down because of the pandemic. They were doing that on to some level. Uh, but I made sure I wanted to elevate it. But no, I didn't start as a kid. I didn't start anywhere with it. It's, it's, it all became because I got lucky. I got lucky in life. I, I mean, literally, I, I ate at the, what is it called? Um, the Four Seasons, the being at Tavern on the Green. I mean, spots that a lot of my friends and family could never or would never do. And I was fortunate enough in the position I was in when I worked in sales to get there and eat there. And I realized a different level of, of, of quality that they put into everything. And I just want to keep doing the same thing for our people. I want someone to come into the restaurant and be like, oh my God, this is amazing. I didn't realize you guys did stuff like this, you know? And I love it. I think um, one of the things I want to do, James, I'm going to try to make sure we get you on another episode, maybe set up a part two for next week sometime or when we have a little more uh, stability in our lives. But I definitely want to continue this conversation. Your mindset, we didn't even get into core values and all that type of stuff. Um, so I'd love to continue this in the Puerto Rican conversation, if that's cool. Um, Absolutely. As we wrap up, could you quick tell us where we could find you on social media again and where your addresses and locations are? Of course. So you can find us on Facebook, TikTok, or Instagram uh, at La Fonda NYC. So that's spelled L-A-F as in Frank, O-N as in Nancy, D-A-N-Y-C. And then there you'll see the Anoche page, which is the Anoche NYC uh, and we can be found in East Harlem on 106th Street uh, between 3rd and Lexington. The address is 169 East 106, New York, New York, 10029. Very cool, James. I'm really excited to continue this conversation. So am I, Justin. I really appreciate you taking the time out. And yeah, like you said, we're very busy individuals. Right now, I'm headed to the hospital to see my business partner drop off some food to the nurses and then back to my restaurant. So I appreciate you taking time and letting me walk my way here as, as we were conversing. Yeah, we just made it work. I figured we're two entrepreneurs, we're on the go, this time worked and you were on the go and I was in between going, so um, thank you. One of the things I wanna just leave everyone with as we close off this episode is, um, it's important to share what's going on here to other entrepreneurs and the culture. And what James is doing is he's volunteering his time and taking the time while he's walking to share his story and share his love for Puerto Rico so other people can share in it and go try the food there. I think that's important. The other thing is, is that there's such love in food. And whether anyone realizes it or not, the entrepreneurs that come on here, including myself by leading this, have nothing but love for the audience and trying to share a message and and expose the world to more food and expose the world to more culture and understanding and um, break down boundaries and mental constructs that are kind of negative or are preconceived negative. Like, you know, as the he talked about it, the Irish gentleman and, and the couple, like a lot of people end up in New York together and their worlds are on totally opposite side of the planets and they get married and they have to figure it out. It's not just we live in the same neighborhood. It's like, how the hell do we handle Christmas? And so 
this is like part of what it is in life. But the thing that I love about all of it is the entrepreneurs, particularly in food, we are the facilitators of this stuff, which is why I love it. And we are able to facilitate this stuff by just doing the business and the things that we love. So thank you, everyone. You can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself. And we're out. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.